Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Friday, October the 9th, 2015. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and your questions, because then that makes this your show. We do already have a caller, but let's first welcome Michael. Well, thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're here to join us and talk about first century Aramaic forgiveness. And we got a request from Dr. Andraki this morning to, to, uh, that with their support group out in Pahrump, Nevada. Interesting little town there, Pahrump. People still walk around with guns on their hips. It's, uh, it's like being in the wild, wild west. And Talking to Dr. Andraki this morning, they're doing their support group at the the largest healthcare provider in town, and uh, and they've got between ten and twenty people every week who are coming to the support group, just rocking along with forgiveness, working with a lot of folks that are hearing the process and understanding it and putting to work in their lives. So that's pretty exciting. Thank you, Dr. Andraki, and thank you, Claudia. You guys are just doing awesome work. And the request was to talk about the idea of the the difference between the inside and the outside. And that's a a really difficult concept to build when, well, actually, building the concept is pretty easy, but tearing down the lies, tearing down the old idea is difficult. So there's an infallible marker that tells you when you're dealing with something on the inside. You know, it's like Jim Jim likes to say it's a home game. It's all a home game. And I like to say it's all done with smoke and mirrors. So how do I tell when my mind is lying to me? How do I tell when my mind is telling me, according to the brainwash of the culture, that you made me mad? Well, we've developed a test. We've developed a tool for determining that, and, and it's, a, it's a kind of a tricky one to apply. There's a very specific question you have to answer for yourself to tell whether or not what you're feeling is yours or not. And the question is, am I feeling it? If I'm feeling it, that's an infallible sign that what I'm dealing with is mine. But... If I think or talk about you as the problem in my life, then my mind plays this little trick on me. It follows and structures the world that I see, i.e. you as being the problem in my life, out of the words that I speak. So when I say, you made me mad, you made me sad, you made me afraid, you hurt me, you, you really have a problem, I ask people a question. If they are the one with the problem, why are you the one with the pain? Something about that doesn't make sense. Obviously, 
if they're the one with the problem, they'd be the one with the pain. If you have pain and you think it's their problem, then your mind is lying to you and you have a problem you don't know about. Well, Michael, how can I have a problem that I don't know about? It's easy. All you have to do is follow the brainwash of this culture. All you have to do is say, you made me mad. You know, there's some interesting Harvard research that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, the max amount of information that goes into building the world that you see, your conscious perceptual reality, is nine bits. Nine bits out of 10,000 means you're seeing evidence. And the only evidence you ever get to see is evidence of your own BS. Uh, That's a belief system, by the way. You'll notice that perhaps you had a different reality for those initials. Perhaps you had different evidence than BS. And, and, And I've actually had people, you know, I write those initials on a board and I'm speaking in a church, and people are insulted. How dare you write those initials on a board in a church? Notice the inside nature of their insult. They're not insulted by belief system, which is what I mean by those initials. They're insulted by the content of their own mind. Every time I'm feeling insulted, angry, sad, or afraid, I'm insulted, angry, sad, or afraid because of something that's resonating inside of me. But because we live in a world of make-believe, that is, first we make it up, then we believe it, and then our mind provides the evidence to prove that it's true. When I make it up that you made me mad, here's what I'm saying to my mind. Mind, I'm mad, but it's all their fault. So I want you to go to my file on them, and I want you to build me a picture that shows me that they're the reason I'm mad. And my mind will build that picture. And it will go out and gather evidence for that picture. If there is no evidence to validate that picture, then my mind will hallucinate the evidence. And a sure sign that somebody's stuck in a hallucination is there some form of hostility or fear. But you'll notice how stuck people get in talking about, yeah, and when you did this and when you did that, and you know you, and boy, I could really do that better. I could show you how to do it. I could fix that. If only you hadn't screwed it up, then everything would be okay. And you'll notice how people do that. And the mind goes on and on and on with its lies. The one who's feeling the pain is the one with the problem. Now, what if you've got two people who have a problem? Then you have perfect matching bags of garbage. And here's the way the game works in this culture. Let's say I'm person one with problem one. I talk as though you're the cause of my problem, and I want you to fix my problem. I want you, person two, to fix my problem. It's like I want you to reach into my mind and change what's going on inside of me. And person two has a problem, and person two speaks as though person one is the cause of their problem, and they say, and I want you to fix what's happening in my mind. So now we've got people in the exact reverse position, each asking the other to do something so that each mind will stop experiencing what it's experiencing. Now, if you've ever worked at changing your own mind, you know how much of a challenge that is, and now we're actually expecting somebody else to change our minds? It's crazy. It's insane. And it's crazy-making to play that way. And so instead, what we suggest is that you engage in the process of responsibility, and and you'll notice when somebody's got a whole story that they made up of you, let, let, let's see, let's see. Has anybody here ever had somebody say something about you, you know, tell you how you did something that never happened, or you said something that you absolutely never said? Yeah, everybody said that happened. Now, think about the person who said that something about you that wasn't true. And let me just ask, you know, our our definition of a, of a human being is hold a newborn child, this awesome active presence of love. And you know what a human life is. And think about what you've done or what you were feeling that caused you to do things you regret, and it will always be hostility or fear. Now, think about the person who was sure you said and did something that never happened and ask, answer me the question. Were they coming from that awesome, sweet presence of love that is human life? 
or were they coming from some form of hostility or fear? 100% of the time, it's some form of hostility or fear. Hostility and fear are an indicator that the mind is stuck in an hallucination and trying to get somebody else to fix the contents of the mind producing the hallucination. I love how Tim talked about it oh, a couple of years ago. He came up with this one, and that is that, of course, we talk about how when you're in hostility or fear, that's a warning signal. It's like a fire alarm going off. And Dr. Kim, Tim came up with a story. Well, you know, imagine that you're in your home, cancel the thought, and the fire alarm goes off. Would you call the fire trucks and send them to a house down the street, to your neighbor's house? Well, no, that would be ridiculous. I'd send them to where the fire is. But, you know, what's interesting. We have these fires of rage and guilt and grief and fear inside of us. And we always want to send the repair to the other person. And when we're in that state and it becomes clear that it's ours, you'll notice how often when you ask someone, would you like support in healing that? No, I'm not interested. They want that part of their minds to change, but they won't be supported in changing it. And the reason for that is because they're stuck in a thing called blockage of truth. And here's how blockage of truth works. I have something painful going on inside of me. I make up a picture in my mind of you. And the picture comes from the content of my mind, the reality, the world that I'm looking at comes from the content of my mind. You know, we've talked about it often that even the CIA is now affirming that. If you look on their website, they have a book there where they uh, talk about their uh, working to improve perception of their analysts, and they literally say word for word, we do, the mind does not record reality, it generates it. So if I'm generating a reality based in some form of hostility or fear, and I want to blame you for it, I'm stuck in a hallucination. I'm projecting the contents of my mind into my brain's image of you, and I want you to fix it. And you can't ever fix the content of my mind. The solution to that dilemma lies in my willingness and my ability to collapse the picture that my mind is telling me is the cause and drop into the space inside of me where the real cause is. And what I can drop into the space inside of me where the real cause is and I bring the presence of love to that part of my mind, because that part of my mind is insane on exposure, direct exposure to love, that part of my mind simply begins to dissolve. But most people are so stuck in, I'm not allowed to be wrong, I've got to be right here, and no, I don't want to fix anything, even though I realize this is my problem, People drop into resistance. It's interesting, in the ancient Aramaic language, the word Satan is a lowercase word that means the resistor, one who misleads. So when there's something going on inside of me that I deny, that is, I think or speak as though somebody else is the cause of it, then by thinking or speaking that somebody else is the cause, I hide or dissociate from that part of my mind. Once I dissociate from painful content... I will never see that painful content again until I forgive. I'll see the end result of it, is, and that is a picture of you being the problem in my life. And, and a silly thing about that solution is I'm still feeling the pain, but I'm really in the belief that you're the cause of it. What I need to do is to come into direct relationship with the cause of my pain. And this genius mind from 2,000 years ago taught us exactly how to do that. I engage in first century Aramaic forgiveness. I recognize that what drives my perception is a goal that I hold for you. And when I cancel that goal, I collapse my mind's picture that you're the problem. That part of my mind collapsing on itself opens the pathway into the dissociated content that now I get to bring forward directly. And when I bring it forward directly, 
and I have love conscious active and presence in my mind, my insanity simply dissolves. I can't dissolve the insanity that I'm not willing to come into direct relationship with. And, you know, I've been doing this forgiveness process with people for over 35 years, and it always amazes me when people cancel a goal, what they drop into and what they get in touch with. Unless we're willing to do that, what happens is we get trapped in Satan, and most of the world lives trapped in Satan. Not the dude with the red suit, the tail, and the pitchfork. That's a Greek fantasy. That's a fantasy that's meant to keep us on track for what was being taught 2,000 years ago. The word Satan is a lowercase word in Aramaic, and it means the resistor, one who misleads. So you'll notice when somebody's in their pain, and it's an inside job, smoke and mirrors, you'll notice when you talk to them about that, they go into resistance. No, this doesn't have anything to do with me. And then they tell you about the way they're being misled. You see, he said this, and she did that, and they did that, and that's why I'm in pain. So now... Trapped in Satan, the resistor, one who misleads, people actually believe that somebody else is the cause of what's going on in their minds. And when you collapse that projection and you come back into direct relationship with the hidden parts, the dissociated parts of your own mind, you get to heal. And when you get to heal, you don't need your anesthetics anymore. You actually tend to live as this sweet, active presence of love. And I'm talking about the toughest guys on the planet. I mean, I've been in prison with some of the, I mean, scary dudes that I wouldn't want to meet on the street. And they break down in tears like a three-year-old, just like anybody else. Because inside of them, the reason for their rage, their guilt, their fear, their drug abuse, their alcohol abuse... If there's that three-year-old that's just wanted to be cared for and nurtured and loved, and it's in so much pain that it's too difficult to face. When you face it and you bring the active presence of love to it, you get to reclaim your human life. How cool is that? And so that's where we want to go with this process and the pathway, the, the major tool for getting there. There are many tools that we've developed out of the first century Aramaic, but the key tool is that first century Aramaic forgiveness process. If you have not accessed that, you can go to our website, www.whyagain.org, and scroll down a little bit. In the middle of the page, you'll see a red and white bullseye. Click on the bullseye. And that will open a whole series of links. All the free support you can ask for is right there. Chapter 24 of my book is free. Download it read it. It's all about forgiveness. The second link is the worksheet process. Take the top one on the list. Start to work with that one. The third link is uh, at least 16 different radio shows where we walk somebody through from start to finish the whole worksheet process. And and I invite people to listen to all 16 of those shows. There's some other important shows in those links too, but listen to all 16 of those shows because each one is instructive on how to utilize the worksheet process. And each one has a different shade of meaning, a different person we're talking to, a different piece of learning in each of those 16 hours. So there are free 16 hours. Just click on them and listen. You can right-click on them, save them to your computer, put them on your phone, put them on your iPad, whatever and build the brain cells for how to drop into the parts of the mind that have been hidden. It's awesome. And that's all free support. And then as you're using those worksheets, if you have a question five days a week, our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Call and ask your questions. We want you to be outrageously successful at using these tools. That's why we set aside an hour every day. You notice we don't have any commercials. We're not selling commercial space. This isn't about making money. This is about making the tools available. Now, if you would like to do paid support, you're also welcome to do that. You can go to our website, and there's a donate button. If you're benefiting from this, send us some money. Everything we have, beyond a fairly meager lifestyle, everything that we have goes into how do we do the next project of making first century Aramaic forgiveness to every mind available to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. You'll be supporting us in do that, doing that. 
And, of course, we have a catalog of products. There's a video of why is this happening to me again, a two-hour video, a four-hour video. There's a four-hour uh, audio CD of why is this happening to me again. There's a, an unabridged reading of the book. Actually, it's a new version of the book, why is this happening to me again, available on CD. So all of those things are ways to access materials. If you want to support us, they are some of the ways that you can financially support us as well. But we're delighted to give you all the free support you can swallow and use. That's what we're here for every day. So that's the, uh, this, the story of the inside job and how to collapse the, the pictures in the mind that, that convince us, the constructs of the mind that convince us that the problem's outside of us and how to drop back inside to clean it up. And the beauty of dropping inside and cleaning up is the dis-ease energies that are held in tissue, when you remove them, the tissue recovers, diseases disappear, Emotional traumas disappear. Mental traumas disappear. Relationship traumas disappear. Financial traumas disappear. Everything shifts and changes. It's an awesome process. So we're here to support you five days a week in doing that. And uh, Dr. Tim, I suspect, is with us. Let's say hello to the young man, and then we'll say hello to our caller. Dr. Tim? I'm doing well, thank you. I'll just briefly report that we had our Thursday support group, and we watched the second half of Why Is This Happening to Me Again, the older version, the two-hour version. Awesome. And that led, and that led to uh, over, well over an hour of discussion, good questions, and uh, we had a couple people there who are relatively new to the process, and so we got some testimonials from some older group members, or I mean more more experienced group members who've been around the work for over a year, and they got to talk about their fears about even attending the group or starting the worksheet process and how their evolution has has uh, taken place and unfolded ever since they began. And it was just very, very uh, enriching, I think, for everybody there, and um and so we've got, uh, you know, more people are learning about the process and and applying it. And we had testimonials from the two people who've been there a very short period of time about how they've already seen shifts. So good, good process, great group, um, a blessing in my life. Cool. Well, before the day is out, we'll get a flyer off to you for, uh, we finally got that finished. I finally got that finished uh, this morning. For the two intensives we'll be doing, and we'll invite you to print a few off and share them and invite people to come and join us for either the Codependent Communication Practicum 9-day in uh, Orlando, Florida, starting the 1st of February. That 9-day is going to extend out to where people can carry on through a full 16-day, and then we're going to do a 16-day Laws of Living. So, Tim, I'll I'll get that in email before the day is out, and uh, you'll have that. But appreciate the support of letting people know and helping us to fill that intensive up. For those intensives up. Be happy to do it. All right, sir. Well, let's say hello to our caller. Jeannie, you've got somebody on the phone for us. Yes, I do. And it's area code 765. I think it might be Sunny. Yes, it's Sunny. Well, hi there. Young lady. You know, it's cloudy here, so I'm glad it's sunny there. Well, yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's very sunny here to be having a monsoon in here, and it is very sunny here, and I want to give everyone many, many thanks, Michael. Um, I um, Thanks to this process, and I'm um, still processing. Um I hope Julie from Ashland, Oregon is on today and can hear. Um, She and I were going to do worksheets together, and we agreed to Mondays. And um, I missed this Monday. But um, in brief, without much story, Michael, I was able to um, trade fiction for fiction. And um, all is well in our world. There are no more issues over the house. And um All right. equally I was given the news on Monday that after um fourteen years of endurance with my daughter 
it's just a matter of a couple of closing uh, legal hearings and it, it's done all but the paperwork. And my daughter and I are free for the first time wow. in her life. Um, wow, you've been working hard for this one, lady. Congratulations. <laughs> you got two winners right in one shot. That's and, fabulous. Uh, it's been a very intense uh, few weeks, and I have to apologize to Dr. Tim where I lost track of the radio show timeline one day, and and um, we we just got kicked off. I, I just the way I function anymore with my new brain, or as an orphan, um, you know, I, I don't do too bad. <laughs> um, well, just so people who may not have been. You know, following you've been on the show, you were being threatened with losing your house, and from what I understand, you just said that's handled, is taken care of. Yes, um, I was able to play fiction for fiction, and without being financeable, when it looked like there was nothing, no way, no how, the you know third year, this was the end of the rope with the county. This was it for property taxes. Um, I own my home outright. We've lived here 24 years. Um, yeah, um, this is after cleaning awesome. up just the worksheet process, a lot of forgiveness work through mm, um, an extensive illness, all of this, and having to use my new mind, yeah, to do this with. I'm, I'm so honored to know you and so blessed. And I cannot thank any of you enough. <laughs> um, it's cool. Keep breathing. I, and then the second thing is you had a custody thing going on with your daughter, and uh, from what I'm understanding, that's handled too. That's been two, like, yes. big, major life issues you've worked through, young lady. That's just monumental. Congratulations. Yeah. And I love I'm, I'm excited. Human. That triggers excitement in me. Uh, <laughs> um, I know you've you've been very dedicated and faithful to my daughter and I both and uh, to Markayla. She's... She's really starting to get it as a result of this. This has been a good witness to her. And um, the uh, the thing I'm experiencing in the moment is that uh, the healing crises. I'm willing to let it all go. I'm still processing my tears, but maybe Jeannie would be familiar with the left side of my body. My left hand is numb and a little bit of vertigo. You know, um, it's a lot to to let go of, and I'm not real clear on that process, maybe. <laughs> well, I'll just, like I, I, I support you holding to the breath and, and staying with the worksheets, and and we hold the space that the next level of healing happens for Markela, that she can let go of that whole disturbance in blood sugar and get back to a healthy pancreas and just, you know, live a life that's just awesomely healthy and just moves forward in her creative capacity. I thank you. And um, like I say, just um, I'm going to try to do some, make the effort for, with some tapping here and um, this numbness in my left hand, the female aspects and, and so on, and a little bit of vertigo of overwhelm maybe and uh, and see how I do over this weekend. Uh, I am cool. just so grateful to all of you. Awesome. Maybe Thank Dr. You. Tim has some uh, support on the, the type of tapping you might want to do along with the worksheets. Oh, that Any would thoughts, be wonderful. Tim? Well, the the basis I would share with you is that when I have people tap in general, I remind them to take a breath, scan their body, and tune in to what they're thinking what they're feeling physically in physical sensations and what they can be aware of in emotions. And then the easiest thing to do for a general approach is notice which of the categories is most intense and uncomfortable. So it might be a negative recurring thought or it might be a pain in my shoulder or the numbness in your hand or it might be an emotion of fear that the numbness won't go away. Whichever is most intense, I begin tapping and just saying words like, I release and let go of this energy, of this thought, of this physical sensation or this emotion, and go through the rounds of tapping 
on the key points that are available at uh, emofree.com or at um, fastereft.com. You can find good resources there for where to tap on which points on your body. But then do a round or two of tapping, breathe, and scan your body again, and notice now what's the most, what's the strongest level of discomfort. And you can go through that multiple times if the if the discomfort stays the same then switch over to another aspect so let's say it's a physical discomfort and i'm tapping on the pain in my hand and it's not changing well then on subsequent rounds i would tap on what are my thoughts about how it's not changing or what emotion am i aware of because it's not changing and tapping through those and just keep rotating through them tends to be quite useful for people Okay, is that uh, five point, if you're familiar, the one that Rex um, communicated with me over the phone a long time ago, several months ago? The five that point was, for the... It's the Faster EFT with Robert Smith. Yeah. That's good then, huh? They're both very good, whichever you're more comfortable with. Well, God bless you. Thank you very much. And, Sonny, if you go to the whygen.org you can just type in EFT, and the first link under um, under our favorite links is the Faster EFT Tapping with Robert Smith. So you can click on, you can find it that way too. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm just um, kind of letting the tears flow as they come, Michael, and it's just all gratitude and. All of you are such a huge part of that. <laughs> we got your back, little girl. <laughs> I know you do. Thank you so much. Have All a right. Great you have a blessed day. All right. You too. Lots of love. Tell Mark Taylor we said hello and send our love. I certainly will. All right. Blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. So we breathe with you, young lady. And we feel the parts in us that you resonate with what you're dealing with and going through. And we take responsibility for those parts so that we can breathe, let them soften, let them open and let them go. Awesome opportunity. We have a community like the one we do. Mind Shifters Radio, 646 200-4169. We can support you. Push one. Jeannie, anything happening in the chat room we should be aware of or anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? Actually, in the um, chat room, Erica's with us, and the last time she had called in, she said she would call in, but she doesn't have a good phone signal right now. But what? Her contract with the school, and she was unemployed, and... um the situation she was going through with that and and she was doing her work around it. And she said that uh, the storm has passed. There's still a little bit left to pick up, but she's much better. She said um, they found out that it was a violation of the contract, the way that they did her, and the union moved forward with a grievance. And so after a month of many events, She finally had a meeting with the college president, the vice president, the administration, and a member of her committee. Everything was brought to light. One of her committee members quit. She says, I have a new member, and I still have my job. She said, I have done a ton of worksheets this week. All right. Yeah. She said um, it was the most vulnerable that she has ever felt in her life, and it was the first time she was openly disliked, so to speak, and she didn't even realize that she cared that deeply about pleasing other people. And I asked her how things were now, you know, with the backpedaling and them having to rescind their decision that she wouldn't be renewed and everything. And she said she actually feels incredibly loved and supported. She said, in fact, I tried to run away. I made plans for resigning and looking for other jobs, et cetera, and I told people and they listened uh, and they told me that I can't see north when I'm in a storm. 
and suggested that she takes more time before making a move. Her colleagues are such sweet people. So it sounds like you've got phenomenal support and you've got your job still and you've got so many opportunities in front of you. And I think that's awesome. Yay. Nice work, lady. So anything else happening, Jeannie? No, that's the only conversation, and nobody has a hand up. We're down to 24 minutes, so we've got plenty of time to cover something else. So if someone presses one or dials into 646-200-4169, we're here to support you. All right, so if you're out there, if uh, Jeannie, if Tim, if myself had been in your town, doing a workshop at your library or church or school, university, and we walked down off the platform after having the conversation we just had, what would you be wanting to know? What would you be asking? You know, we started out with the idea of it all being an inside job, and one of the other benefits of uh, of engaging in the true first century Aramaic forgiveness process is that you don't have a physical body, you have an energetic body. And where you put energies in your tissue structure that don't belong there, the tissue becomes diseased. Now, I'm talking about the only disease that there is is a frequency in a cell that doesn't belong there. Your form, your human device, was made to incarnate love. If you set something else in it, hate, fear, rage, guilt, grief, pain, drama, trauma, or if there are those energies set in it already by your genes, then your tissue structure is diseased. But it's not a physical disease because there's no such thing as a physical disease. Because there's no such thing as physical. Well, wait a minute, Michael, now... If, if there's no such thing as physical, how come when I clap my hands together, they don't just pass through each other? Well, you got to understand a little bit about physics here. It's a real simple explanation. And that is that when two energy systems are in resonance with each other, there's an exchange of information between them. Now, I hit a middle C tuning fork on a desk. It starts to vibrate. If I put it in front of another middle C tuning fork, the second tuning fork takes on some of the energy of the first and it starts to vibrate. If I hit the middle C tuning fork on the desk and I put it in front of the middle A tuning fork, nothing happens to the middle A tuning fork because there's no resonance. My hands are resonating fields. They create exchanges of energy. And the exchange of energy looks like the noise you hear when those energies hit together just like the sound that comes off of the tuning fork happens when the tuning fork starts to vibrate. So my hands are literally resonating atomic magnetic structures that create interference patterns that make them look solid. But let's imagine that I made my left hand out of radio waves and I went to clap my left hand with my right hand, which is so-called physical. What happens My left hand made out of radio waves would pass right through my right hand. Why? Because there's nothing physical or solid there except resonance makes it appear so. If I made both of my hands out of radio waves, they'd appear solid again, and there's obviously nothing solid about a radio wave. There is nothing solid about your hands or your body. It is a frequency device, and where there are frequencies that are in a similar atomic magnetic range, they look physical to each other. They look solid, but there's nothing solid about them. So when I learn to forgive and I remove whatever dis-ease energy I put into my tissue structure, then my diseases start to disappear. That's all. When I remove the interfering energy, the cell can reorganize itself. Listen to that word, reorganize. It can become a new organic structure. Now, let's let's just take this a little bit further and go back to the ancient Aramaic. And there's a word that they used. And be careful because the Greeks have done all kinds of dastardly things with this word. 
that two people in terror, and most people don't even want to hear the word because they've been, and they've had people who've tried to force them to buy this word as their identity. But putting an energy into the structure that doesn't belong, nesting a frequency that doesn't belong in the ancient Aramaic was called sin. And if we listen to Max Planck, Max Planck uh, was the Nobel Prize winner, and as he's receiving the Nobel Prize in physics, Max says, as a man who spent his entire life studying matter, I can tell you this much. There is no matter as such. Our entire world, he says, is made up of succeedingly smaller patterns of vibratory fields nested one within another within another. So here's a Nobel Prize winning physicist telling us that matter doesn't exist. You have a series of nested frequencies. If I nest the frequency into a cell where it doesn't belong, then the cell is going to become deformed. It's going to change its structure. And my eye is going to look at it and say, oh, how distorted that physical cell is. No, how distorted the energy pattern is that has impinged on the cell and creates the appearance of distortion. You remember this fellow 2,000 years ago said, do not judge by appearances? If you keep looking at the distorted appearance, then you add and nest more frequencies of distortion into the cell and increase your diseases. When you recognize that there's no physical disease because there's no physical, but there is a thing of putting of nesting a frequency that doesn't belong again, in the Aramaic it was called sin. And you remember they said the wages of sin is death. That wasn't some kind of theological threat. God's going to get you for your sins. They were just saying, here's how the system works, folks. You nest enough frequencies that don't belong in a cell, the cell will start to die. You get enough cells dying in an organ, and the organs will start to die. You get enough organs dying in the organic system, and you die. The wages of sin is death. This is about physiology. This isn't about theology. There's nobody out there threatening to get you for doing things that some authority wants you to do. You know, the ancient concept of law is not the rule of a superior, but rather simply how the energy system works. When you start to see your life in the world through the eyes of energy, then you start to understand how this energy system works. You stop judging by appearances. And if you find yourself capable of some form of hostility or fear, then you just reach in and remove the hostility or fear. And guess what happens? Your cells heal. Your organs heal. There is no incurable disease. There are incurable people, people who will not do what it takes to clean up this energy system. But it's all changeable because it's all just energy. When you see through the eyes of energy, everything changes. When you become a master of the world of energy, everything changes. And we're here to change everything. And our calling number, if you're on one of those stations we can't see in our switchboard, is and you'd like to ask a question, is 646-200-4169. And if you push one, that will raise a little hand in the phone uh, uh, control panel, and uh, uh, Jeannie will know you want to talk to us. So, Jeannie, anything happening in the uh, uh, chat room that we should be aware of or anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? No, nobody has their hand up. No questions in the chat room. Cool. Well, then, you're next in line if you've got a question for us. Push one. Wow, two two hands just went up at the exact same time. Okay, let's go for it. All right, 970, you're on the air. Yes, this is Cindy again in Ghost Springs, Colorado. Glad to hear from you, young lady. How are you today? I'm much better than when I didn't push the button and talk to you a week ago. So, all right. Well, we're listen. here to just you be did. listening ears. <laughs> you really did. Um, the, the question I wanted to ask today is in regard to grief. Uh, three things in my mind. Um, the first one is Michelle was talking about a week ago. And she said that in her support groups, frequently 
people uh, feel that grief is different than the other negative emotions and that it should be considered differently. I can't remember exactly what she said, but that Uh really resonated with me. Second, I do attend a support group for uh, family members of people with PTSD, and our topic lately has been grief versus depression. Um, And then the third thing is my perception that when you mention grief, it seems to always be lumped as something very negative. And personally, and also thinking about this, and what the women have to say at the support group is that the avoidance of grief is what creates so much uh, pain in people, including my husband, Brad. The avoidance of grief or rage or fear or hate or vengeance, the avoidance of any of it is what makes it painful. Embrace it and love and it changes. I hear you say that. I know that when you present it, I I know after having listened to you all these years now that that's what you're talking about. But I think the perception is that Michelle was mentioning is that somehow is bad and that we should avoid it. And I think that goes along with uh, how our culture encourages us, don't don't worry, be happy. You know, we shouldn't be yep. <laughs> uh, in that place of sorrow. Yes. And for me personally, and, and... It, it comes and it washes through me. That's one of my major issues due to many premature deaths in my family, and mm. it washes through me, it I, it grips me, I feel it in my heart and my stomach, but then it's like a cleansing thing, it's like, you know, tears, it washes through me, and I'm able to process it, so I think, so I see that as a good thing when that comes, and it, it, it I don't get and I know what you're going to say here. I think I, I have learned how to how to do that very well, and I almost welcome it when it comes because it's such a relief. Right. So, right. what are your thoughts about that? Well, uh, let me share an analogy that might help. Let's imagine that I have that that every emotion that I have is contained in a container inside of me. So I have a container for fear, anger, grief, whatever. And that container is made up of my thoughts. For instance, the thing that creates grief is thoughts of loss and what could have been. And so if I have a good solid container made of fear of loss, uh, sadness at loss, anger at loss, the possibility of loss, then I have a a really solid cup, and that cup sets up an energy field that will draw me into circumstances that I get to experience loss. And I'll fill the cup up, and when the cup is filling up, it hurts. It's painful to carry that energy around. So finally, I open up and, you know, I dump the cup. I embrace it and I dump the cup and, wow, I feel better. The thing to be careful of is that you don't become hooked on keeping filling the cup so you can feel better when you let go of it. When you apply the forgiveness process, what you're doing, you know, there there are quote-unquote therapies out there where they'll say, okay, well, here you are, take a baseball bat and beat a tree or beat a pillow. Then you'll feel better, and and that moves energy, and it empties the cup. But if you put the thought structure, the container, the cup back in place, it's the thing that draws more of the same and keeps us in that cycle. What we're saying is that if I apply forgiveness and I change the nested frequencies of my thought, 
I'll come to the point where I'll not only dump the cup, and the most powerful way to dump the cup is to breathe, but I'll shatter it and throw it away. And I won't have to create more situations of grief and loss that will allow me to feel that release because there's nothing left to release. I stand as a space of love. I stay connected to love. And my thoughts of loss, I forgive. And I forgive and I go to the root of them and I remove them. And as I remove them, I get to bring human life and the active presence of love into every experience of my life, including the experience of what the world calls loss. But all of a sudden it's not loss anymore because I don't have that structured within me. I've forgiven that. Does that make sense? And it is only through embracing it in love that I can dissolve that and I don't have to go out and create more loss for myself. But life is filled with loss. When when the people we love transition, especially early. And so... Uh, Maybe. I think, for me personally, I would think there would be something wrong with me if I lost one of my children and I didn't grieve. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't say don't grieve. I, I, I said take whatever it is and embrace it and keep letting go of the structures. Let, let's use an analogy here. Let's imagine you've got a pair of twins in utero, nine months together, and they've had a blast. You know, Jeannie, uh, her son had a twin that uh, she lost during pregnancy. And a few years back, Jeannie got in touch in a breathing session of the fact that the twin that she lost with a girl was a girl. And she talked to her son about it, and he said, well, I knew that. I've always known that. And it's interesting to watch Ryan because Ryan, from the day I met him, he was probably 13 or 14 when I met him. He always had to have a girlfriend. If he if he had a relationship breakup, and he had several of them pretty quickly, the next day, he'd have a girl beside him. He'd have a girl beside him. So he knew that. So so let's imagine we've got these twins in utero, and the first twin is born into an excited, wonderful, receptive, loving world. The child who's left in the womb from the construct of loss has just experienced the loss. But has there been any loss? at this child being born into the world that cherishes them and honors them and is going to create an awesome life? Or is the loss in the mind of the person who holds loss? And is it possible that when someone leaves, if if we're stuck in what the world has told us, the end all and the be all, the body's the only thing that's real, and when you lose a body, that's the end of it, if someone leaves their body, in fact, the scriptures instruct, be sad when someone's born and rejoice when they die. They're moving into a different place. Are they simply being born into another experience? And because we're looking from a self-centered place and a place where perhaps we haven't resolved issues for them, we can't hold a space for them in their journey for me, as opposed to structuring loss, like my mom passed away about a year and a half ago. And for me, it was about holding a space for her, for her birth, for her journey into the next level of her experience. It wasn't about me not having contact with her or being able to see her or hold her or hug her. But if I were attached to all those things and my experience of her was limited to that, then when she passed, I would have had all kinds of grief and sadness and loss. But in fact, her passing, for me, was rather joyful and connected to love and just saying, Mom, you have been so awesome in my life and such a gift in my life. I am filled with appreciation for you. And 
I choose to stay connected to love and hold that space for you as you did so many times for me when I was a kid. I was I was really sick as a kid. I mean, I was every fall, the first two weeks of school, I was in the hospital in an oxygen tent. I lived on drugs and an inhalator back then. And I think back to the grief that I put my parents through, the trauma and, you know, what they experienced in not knowing what's going to happen to this kid who, if we don't get him to the hospital in three minutes, he's going to die because he can't breathe from asthma. That's a thing of the past for me now, having done my work around that. But but the the appreciate what what filled me when my mom passed and I went up and I actually spent four or five days with her just a few days before she passed and we ate ice cream and we played and just appreciated each other and so when she left it was appreciation and holding her in a blessing as she moved on to her next step which I'm not privy to see but from the work I've done I know is what she's doing and I think that Someone who passes who perhaps is not fully conscious yet really needs that kind of support. You know, I've worked with people who've passed, and and they're lost. Without the senses to relate to, they're just lost. They can't find their way. And I've worked with people in that situation and been able to get them to turn around and be directed toward the light and move to what's next for them. So my offering would be that perhaps loss comes from a place of a limited view. The child in utero can't see the reception that is being held for this birth of this this child coming into the world. And when we can let go, forgive our limited view, then we have an inner tutor, an inner teacher, our intuition that can teach us something different. But we can't learn something different than what we already believe is true even though our belief is in error. So I just throw that out as a possibility and uh, maybe that will help to open a different space so that you don't have to create an experience loss in order to feel the relief of that and the joy of that uh, healing process. Uh-huh. But you live in that joy. You live in that joy continuously, like twenty four seven, three sixty five, rather than having to create a crisis to uh, to to dump it and feel better. Mm-hmm. I I just just a comment in passing. I also think there are kinds of grief related to a young, sudden, tragic, premature passing. What's what are what are perceiving what our perceptions yes. are of that compared yes. to preparing yourself, especially for an elder parent to make that transition. Yes. seems like there's a huge difference there. Um, and, but, and my offering would be that the huge difference is our thoughts about it. Yes. And maybe, and I, you know, cancel the thought, but maybe the four-year-old who passes is finished what they came here to do. They've made the contribution to the world that they came here to make, and they're on for their next adventure and their next journey. Right. Yeah. But, of course, I understand that, you know, especially from the way the world has structured our thinking and what we've generally bought into, I, I certainly understand that, you know, we have a lot of thoughts of tragedy and, uh, you know, what, what this person isn't going to get to experience. But if we really understand it, and can experience them as eternal beings, then they haven't lost anything. They're carrying on with their adventure and their journey, and they were finished here. Right. And and I I really do get that. Cool. So. Awesome, awesome questions and thoughts, and, uh, and we're here to hold the space, and we love it when you call in. Tell Brad we said hello, and we're down okay. to just the last few seconds, so I'm going to need to close the show up, but just... Uh, you are you are much much appreciated. So everybody, merci, gracias, pasiba for joining us. We hold the space for you to have the best year yet of your eternal life. Bring a stranger to the show on Monday. Take care. Blessings. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal 
Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. Evolving continuously.